Hello, everyone. Welcome to the eighth episode of Weaving Myths Season 2. Weaving Myths is a podcast focused on tabletop role-playing games and specifically playing them through the play-by-post format. I'm your host, Nathan, and joining me today is Eric. Good evening. Colin. Evening, everyone. Farland. Hey, everybody. And Ruben. Hello, neighbor. We are all moderators or administrators on Mythweavers, a play-by-post gaming website, and we are here to help you bring your game to the next level. If you're not familiar with Mythweavers, you can find it at myth-weavers.com. As always, we are joined by the impeccable text chat, which members of Mythweavers are using right now to ask questions and contribute to the discussion. If you, too, would like to be part of the text chat, feel free to join us on the Mythweavers Discord server every other Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This week, we're going to be talking about selecting a system for your game, and after that, we'll have the free-for-all, and we're going to do a special, uh, well, we have special guest Farland here, so he's going to give us a little overview of what Farland is instead of the game of the week. So without any further ado... do that. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So without any further ado, let's jump right in. The topic we're talking about tonight is system selection. So Eric, I will let you introduce us. All right. Well, a big chunk of playing a game is picking a system that you're going to use for the game. And there's probably hundreds of systems out there, dozens of which are actively in play on the site. So as a GM, one of the decisions you have to make is, what am I going to play? There's a lot of competing interests out there and and a lot of different ways to break this down. We're going to angle this discussion a little bit into role-playing game theory. I know it's a contentious topic, and I'm going to further ratchet up the potential contention here because uh, we're going to use Ron Edwards' GNS theory as the framework for our discussion. Not a holy war. Um, recognize that GNS theory is one of those things that was hot and then was shot down as biased, full of holes, not supported by data. We're not here to talk about any of that specifically, but we're going to use it more as a, uh, a way of thinking about the games um, because gaming and narration and simulation aspects are present pretty much in every role-playing game, and it can be useful to consider you know, which or what combination of these styles best supports what you want to do in your game. Um, so we'll discuss a lot of the systems in terms of what they promote um, and, and what they're neutral towards or uh, you know, if there are parts that they kind of actively shy away from. Uh, so when we say gaming or narration or simulation, exactly what do we mean by that? I don't want to monologue here too much, so guys, feel free to jump in and take some of this. All right. Uh, well, I'm familiar with this setup, too. So gaming. Uh, the game has defined mechanics for determining success or failure, and there are pretty much one or more conditions that can be fulfilled to win. can't see the air quotes, but I'm making the air quotes. Uh, rules generally aim to give each participant an equal chance of winning at the outset. Uh, where chances evolve, participants can invest significant effort to skew probabilities in their favor. Um, peer gaming with no narrative or simulation would be something like a card game, uh, like cribbage, or a board game, like uh, Risk. Generally, this is your peer-peer mechanics. And narration, which is kind of self-explanatory from the title, but it focus if if it is good at narration, it focuses heavily on the establishment, development, and resolution of story arcs. Um, It focuses on the characters and setting, and rules in the system exist to drive action that is consistent with established motivations, themes, or other driving forces of the story. Um, Chance is usually only used to inject risk or establish conflicts, 
or other or otherwise it's used to evoke responses from the players. Um, pure narration with no game or simulation is equivalent to collaborative storytelling. Basically the freeform role-playing, if you're familiar with that. And then we have simulation. Simulation, heavy systems focus on faithfully reproducing a given source material. So rules are designed usually, not always, but usually in extensive detail so that the outcomes make sense in the context of the source material. Outside of the context, the rules may be scant or non-existent, so fairness is not a major concern. If the source material says one of the players starts at a disadvantage, that's the way things happen. Pure simulation with no gaming or narrative is along the lines of wargaming, which is actually how pen and paper gaming started. Yep, with chainmail. Tactical system rules, y'all. Tactical simulation rules, wasn't it? Uh, something like that. I actually I, still maintain that sounds it. They would have called, called 4E D&D Chainmail 2nd Edition. It would have sold like hotcakes. So all or nearly all role-playing game systems were designed for tabletop play, as we just mentioned. Um, but here at Mythweavers, we're talking about play-by-post, which is a completely different beast. So how does being an asynchronous-type game play into these different aspects of gaming, narration, or simulation? So for gaming... What you're looking for is simple rule sets, uh, just because mechanics tend to slow down the post nature. Uh, the more complex your rules get, the more difficult it is to kind of keep pacing. This goes double for systems that require a lot of player and GM interaction back and forth. The more roles it takes to resolve something, especially role where PC rolls GM rule, GM rolls, uh, it's going to take a lot longer. So you kind of want to pick a system that minimizes that. And yeah, that would be things like interrupt actions are systems where I roll a hit, you roll a dodge, I roll damage, you roll soak, stuff like that. So narration. Um, play-by-post is a written medium. Obviously, it's going to be very pro-narration because we're writing, we're narrating as we go. Um, in some respects, can actually be too narration-prone because with hours or days to think up your next post, your participants can create these walls of text that require their fellow participants to spend a lot of time reading and then considering, and then revising their own posts to maintain cohesiveness. Sometimes they end up having to do it all over again when some ninja comes in with a new post that alters the landscape of the story right before they were about to press that submit button. Do you guys have that problem, though? I wish sometimes my players would write walls of text. I have Call Me Fate and Sarah Cock, as well as in one game I've got Sarah Cock and Ambika. I've got Chaos constantly. Yeah, I've got Chaos and walls of text, but I've kind of self-selected over... The <coughs> number of years I've been there. Actually, um, mine is Saracoc, Chimi, and Ambika. Yeah, it's chaos. Usually, I end up with players who are prone to writing maybe not walls of text, but maybe fences of text. And my application rubric uh, lends itself very well to people who write in that style. All hail the rubric. <laughs> no, not the rubric of player demoral- demoralization. It's really not, though. It's only demoralizing when you lose. <laughs> uh, it's terrifying when you've got your score two weeks before the ad ends. Ooh. Hey, that was Yikes. not my fault. You asked for a score, I gave it to you. <laughs> Speaking of scores, for simulation, play-by-post, uh, pretty neutral towards it, really. Uh, I would say when you're dealing with narration, you really just want to look at how complex 
the simulation is because the more complex it is, the harder it's going to be to kind of keep pacing. Uh, you can also use a lot of, we have a lot of text tools to actually make simulation really easy and that you can kind of put up trackers and field sets and all sorts of fancy stuff to kind of make it easy to track the simulation. Yeah, and if there's online tools that you can use to leverage and link out to, I know Stars Without Number, we're going to get to that eventually, Colin. And I know you love, 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 love the uh, the system generator. Great tools that you can link out to are good. If it's something where you have it on your personal computer and you have to copy it to the post, it can be a little bit more cumbersome and uh, makes it difficult to every, make sure everyone has the same view of the situation. Cumbersome is Especially, a general way to put it. Yeah, and if you're doing things from multiple computers like home and work, it makes it even harder. Although, you know, I'd say I think play-by-post might even actually be better for simulation simply because at the table when you try and simulation, they often have a lot of little fiddly rules and you have to look up charts and all that. That time isn't seen in play-by-post, so it kind of looks like it comes instantly, so you have a lot less of people waiting around at the table. I would definitely agree with that given the systems I'm currently running because... Sometimes they do something completely off the wall, and I have to create the content, create the background, everything they need for what they just did. And play-by-post gives me that moment's pause to work out the simulation. Well, yeah, and there's really no way they can tell that you actually had to sit there for a while. And it gives you time to really get into the nitty-gritty if you're you know, doing wounds and things in simulation. You can look them up. And yeah. also, I'll go ahead and throw out there that the beauty of being on a computer is if a tool doesn't exist to help you with something, so like if you don't have a random number generator on the computer, I know there are a billion out there, but if you didn't have one, for example, you could very quickly create one yourself. I mean, there are a bajillion tutorials online on how to create very simple programs to help you out. All right, so while Ruben is uh, posting pictures of Kitty, and uh, we've considered how our asynchronous medium affects... Uh, the sorts of uh, aspects of game theory that relate to our games. Uh, let's talk about a lot of the systems, you know, one by one or in a group, how they're played on Mythweavers, uh, whether they're pro-gaming or anti-gaming or, or what have you, um, and use that kind of as a way to judge what play styles are good for what systems. Judge is probably a bad word because there are no right and wrong answers, and we'll say that again at the end. You can do anything you want. But some systems, it'll be harder to do. That's what we'll touch on. So I think the obvious one to start with is Dungeons & Dragons, Pathfinder, kind of D20 as a whole. Yeah, it's well, it is the granddad. Many moons ago, when Eric was but a wee lad. (laughs) Hey now, I'm at least as old as TSR, almost. Like I said, you're the old man in the group. Get off my lawn! (laughs) The world was green and good. I'm not so sure about that. All right. Anyway, so grandfather of the genre, pretty much it's a gaming environment these days. Um, it used to be very simulation heavy. Now it's, it's not so much. It's more of the uh, kind of the balanced gaming approach. And it doesn't necessarily require narrative elements, uh, but it doesn't necessarily uh, avoid them either. I think the uh, the existence of the SRD and the you know kind of settingless rules kind of evoke more of the uh, the gaming aspect, really, rather over narration. Things where they've moved out of simulation, um, skill checks, immensely simplified over over where they started. Um, and there used to be this wonderful table where you would uh, look up your weapon class and 
consider the armor that you were attacking and have pluses or minuses to hit based on uh, based on that particular combination. Oh, Thacko is wacko if you're a teen. Oh, yeah, man, that was great stuff, too. Oh, I can't get enough of Thacko. Bring it back. Well, an interesting thing about Dungeons & Dragons, too, is you're absolutely right. It's moving, you know, it has moved away from simulation more towards narration and so forth, but then a lot of home rules, homebrewed rules, attempt to, to bring back some of that simulation. You know, you see people bringing back wounds, and you see um, even wizards recently came out with the speed factor kind of system again. Yep, and uh, I had originally, when I was laying out this episode, thought that we would talk about house rules and homebrew kind of at the end of it until the notes started getting lengthy to the point where I realized that we were never going to be able to cram it into a single episode. So maybe that will be how we wrap up the season next week. I believe that can be arranged. That's a really good idea. People definitely, they miss that simulation and they like those homebrew rules. Yep. And there are certainly aspects of simulation that are still available within the, the core system itself. I mean, you've got the stronghold builder guide, you've got craft and profession checks where, you know, there are some members of the site, cyber goddess who are actively running a merchant simulation in a non sequitur thread showing off exactly how much experience you could really gain if you just doubled down on doing nothing but uh, craft checks for your whole life um, just saying they have various ahead, level of fidelity I want to speak up for my kind of favorite redheaded stepchild which is fourth edition fourth edition went like pretty much all in on gamist and narrative and pretty much dropped any pretense of simulation whatsoever. And, oh man, I really kind of like it. I wish more people played it. Yet at the same time, they had like a really, really narrative setting. Yeah, I mean, there's there's really nothing wrong inherently with 4th edition. Um, but that uh, some of the mechanics there, you know, the, the interrupts, the, um, the different ways in which players' actions interacted with each other made it oh, it's a, difficult yeah. to run play by post. Oh, actually, yeah, it was kind of a nightmare. But at the same time, because most interrupts and stuff were a power, and it was only one use, you could often set up triggers. I mean, I ran a lot of 4E when it was new on the Weave, and um, a lot of the biggest solutions were just setting up trigger kind of phrases and stuff like that. Yeah, I think D&D is so old and so long, you can kind of find anything on the whole Gamus narrative simulation scale within just one game. Yeah, it's explored them all. Absolutely. And with the rise of Discord game, Discord based games, maybe 4E will make a comeback. Um, certainly within the, the D20 family, if you're going to run a one shot or an arena type game, that's going to be mostly game focused. You're not going to worry about the narration when you're, uh, when you're just going toe to toe against your adversary. Um, but there are also some narrative based mechanics, uh, like action points or, you know, there's, you know, setting things like dark powers checks in Ravenloft, which are definitely skewed toward making the narration an inherent part of the game system. And then there are other parts of books that take the game back towards the simulation aspect, where Pathfinder, specifically the Kingmaker rules, take it towards simulating a kingdom and how to build one and how to run it. So there there really is, you can take it the this particular group in almost any direction you want. Yeah, it- yeah, D&D is fast. It contains multitudes. All right, so from one flexible system to another, let's talk about Fate, which is extremely popular on the Weave. Yay! You want to lead off, Nate, or...? Uh, you go ahead. All right, all right. So, Fate. 
Uh, Fate is what I would actually call a rules light to medium system, but it's rules medium almost entirely in service to the narrative. So you have a lot of rules, but all the rules are mostly related to how do we make the narrative and how do we use the narrative mechanically. Um, the other really cool thing with Fate, actually, I'm going to let Nate do this because Nate loves this after I introduced it to him. I mean, Fate Fractal. Yeah, the Fractal, if if you get really down into it, everything in the game can be boiled down into a character of sorts. Uh, it's not explicitly a character, but it has a character sheet of a kind, and you can do basically anything with that. Yeah, and we talked about Fate a lot more fully in a past episode. Yeah, so if you haven't listened to that episode and you want to know more about Fate and what it can and can't do... I would highly recommend you go listen to that. Um, I'm actually going to look up which episode it was. Yeah, uh, and while he does that, uh, yeah, Fate is, I think one of the reasons it's really, really popular is that it has enough crunch to engage a lot of people, but the rules are just all in service to the narrative. And when you write your post, it's really easy to just work the rules right into that post. The other thing I like about it is it has several kind of unique subsystems or variations going for it as well. Like you have Dresser Files, which was built on a slightly older framework of Fate, but still works fine. And then the newer Dresser Files Accelerated, which is built on a very new set. And so, like, have any of you guys, sorry, have any of you guys uh, played Dresden Files? Because I've been reading the books lately and they're pretty cool. Uh, Extensively. I've played it a little bit, um, but what I have played, I've thoroughly enjoyed. I think between me and Josh, we probably have pretty much almost all the Dresden Files games on the Weave. I'm going to have to look into those. Uh, of the two, I would really recommend uh, Accelerated more. I think it's a newer rule set, and the rules uh, flow a lot better. It also works better for play-by-post. Yes, and Chimmy brings up he's playing characters and well, let's face it, pretty much all our games. <laughs> but it does model the books pretty well, you say. Oh, amazingly well. I mean, well, That's high praise. I'll check that out. Oh, yeah. Uh, Evil Hat worked directly with Jim Butcher. And the books themselves are written in character. So the like first two books are written by Harry and Butters. No, sorry, Harry and Will. It's kind of like a manual sort of thing. And then the Paranet Papers is written after changes happen. So it's written by Will, Butters, and Murphy. And the newest one is written by Ivy as hey, payment. Hey, no spoilers. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, how many books are you into? I think I'm on White Knight. Oh, oh, sorry. Uh. Yeah, they're all written in character, and they're all pretty funny, and they all have little comments on the side. They're kind of laid out like like prototypes. Awesome. Yeah, no, check them out. They're all great. So uh, and I'll throw out here real quick. The episode that Ruben and I talked about Fate was episode four of season two. So if you want to know more about Fate, that's the episode. Uh, and if you want, just like check either my game history or Josh's game history. There'll be tons of uh, Archinis even. Yeah, I'll do that. Uh, so then we also have Wearing the Cape, which models superheroes. It's really new, and it works superheroes in really, really well. The other thing it does is it takes the whole aspects are true things and really kind of helps codify that so that, okay, I'm a paragon. I can fly just innately, and I can do this, and I, I can do that. And then the last one I really like is Atomic Robo, which is built on the comic of the same name. And it uses modes. Modes are like pre-selected selections of skills and stunts. And you just rate your modes. So 
it's really easy to go in quickly. And it models the Atomic Robo comics really well. But although what I like using it for, Star Trek. It's amazing for a Star Trek game. That and there are dozens upon dozens of Fate Worlds books available on RPG Now. They do pretty much one a month. And they're all available for pay what you want, which could be zero dollars. And they have everything from like Masters of Umdar, which is basically a love lover to He-Man, all the way to Mortz, which is a really cool kind of zombie apocalypse kind of thing. So it definitely sounds very narrative heavy, depending on which variant you want to select. Uh, but if you just went for the core rules themselves, you could leave the narrative behind and take it wherever you wanted to go as far as just a, a base game system. Oh, yeah. And it's got an SRD. So, you know, free rules. Nothing's wrong with free. You definitely sold me. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. Oh, so much good fake stuff. All right. So let's shift gears a little bit to uh, one of the uh, more fun and interesting systems of Lovecraftian horror, Call of Cthulhu. I uh, gotta be honest, I really don't have a lot of experience with Call of Cthulhu. Death, dismemberment, horrific artifacts. My understanding extends to you go insane or you die by the end. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And the mechanics are really designed around to support that narrative. Um, I don't think you could really call it a simulation of madness, but uh, um, there's there's definitely... Uh, the game is, is designed for you to explore and hopefully put off dying and or going insane as long as possible. Um, it's all good fun, even when the old ones eat your soul, though. So, Well, yeah, and it's a really popular system. I don't know how popular it is on the Weave, but I know that um, worldwide it's won a lot of awards. Well, it's uh, a simple percentile system. Uh, it resolves pretty easily. It's really, really good at what it does. So, yeah, it's not surprising it's popular. There's also the newer offshoot Trail of Cthulhu, which is a lot more about kind of the investigation aspects. And that's got some really, really good stuff to pull for almost any investigative game. Oh, I also find Call of Cthulhu interesting. I think it's one of the few games that just assumes you're eventually going to die. Yeah, I think that's pretty true. I can't think of many where it's kind of assumed that you're going... Oh, yeah, Paranoia. Paranoia. Tiffany Corda Corda mentions Paranoia. And yeah, that's definitely another one where death is an assumption. Yeah, but it's not really a limitation either. Yeah, you have clones and stuff like that. You know, Cthulhu just feels like one of those games where there's that unwritten contract that when you start the game, you kind of expect, I'm not going to win. Yeah, it's, well, winning is living as long as you can. Yeah, but it's, it's, there's, there's no defined condition where you can say, yes, I achieved victory over Cthulhu. That's just not going to happen. No, no, it's not. All right, so Call of Cthulhu. If you're looking for a narrative system that supports going insane and uh, kind of a deep investigative horror theme, this is a great system for you. Colin, what's your favorite system? I love how you immediately approach that with, Colin, what do you harp on constantly? (laughs) I can't open up the Discord channel without seeing something about Stars Without Number at some point in the next 30 seconds. Okay, I'd like to point out that is Fate's fault, Sarek's fault, and Whitefire's fault. You invited them all. No, they applied. You picked them. Okay, I've got nothing to argue that. So, um, as Morda slash Eric said, um, and as Tiffany threw out in uh, the Discord channel... My favorite system is Stars Without Number. So Stars Without Number is a game, it's what we would consider with the uh, somewhat ranking system that Eric's been using, it's more of a gaming neutral. 
There are mechanics that you absolutely need for the game, but they don't determine the game. The game definitely leans a lot more towards narrative play and especially towards simulation play. It is a sandbox system, so it comes with a lot of fantastic die roll tables, especially if you're short on time and need to generate stuff quickly, anything from planets to organizations to planetary governments. It's got all that, but it's very much it's player-driven, and the narrative is the big role with simulation coming in in second. So you need to have players that are looking at, oh, you know, we're going to be playing roles. The Game Master isn't going to be driving the plot. The Game Master isn't going to prod us to continue the story because, you know, they can be anything from traitors to mercenaries to soldiers, anything the players want. So it definitely, it leans a lot more towards the narrative system, the simulation system. And there's... The core system alone caters to those, and then the splat books take it even further into them. You know, it reminds me a little of Diaspora for Fate. Bite your tongue. I've heard a little about it. It probably does have similarities, just less mechanics-intensive than Fate. Oh, yeah. I'd say Fate's probably on par with 3.5e. That's a little bit of a stretch. That's a big stretch. I could see the comparison, but... I don't know. No. Well, if you took out the class system from 3.5, then maybe you're close. I don't know. I keep getting pressured for fate, but I keep not having time to learn it. It's not rules light. I think people call it rules light, but it's not rules light. No, stars without number is rules light. Fate is not rules light. And the only thing is, Diaspora had this really cool way to generate systems and planets. It's the only thing that reminded me about it. Okay, let's uh, let's move on. The So the the next system... Uh, on the agenda is World of Darkness. So this is a system that I have heard a lot about. Um, I've never actually used it, oh, but uh, I've have. heard it's good. It's too bad. I've run a, a bunch of vampire games back in the day. Oh, I've run a lot of World of Darkness. So before Discord, before Play by Post, and the halcyon days of internet yore, cinnamon remember what a digi chat was? Crickets. Chirp. Yeah, chirp, cricket. Chirp. I, chirp. It was an chirp. old. It wasn't even Java. It was like pre-Java, like chat program. Uh, yeah, I ran venues for World of Darkness on those. Uh, I've played a lot of it. I played a lot of it, especially in college. You know, when everybody our age back then was playing it. Uh, it's yeah. Uh, who else played it? Eric. Oh yeah. yeah oh, I, why don't you take this one? Sure. Uh, I, I no longer have my angsty phase, so I have turned in my, uh, Vampire of the Masquerade books and my Vampire of the Dark Ages books, but they were a lot of fun. And really, uh, well, the system is good at modeling a lot of things and is really, I would say, fairly pro gaming, uh, from that aspect. It's really a narrative of personal horror, uh, that shines. Um, the s- mechanics are set to track your descent into being the monster of, you know, whatever eponymous monster of the particular variant that you're running and your struggle to possibly rise above that nature. Uh, the classic game line, uh, it's kind of separate mechanics that were loosely tied together with each other and, and vaguely cross compatible. Um, but there was a 20th anniversary d- edition that did a better job of tying them together. Um, 
vampire really is about, you know, your, your lost, uh, or your little remnant of humanity that you're trying to cling to and werewolves about the environment, um, and fighting against, uh, oppressive evils that are, uh, um, going to defeat you eventually. Uh, and mage is about being, uh, stifled by other factions that, uh, don't want to let you achieve true enlightenment. Um, and there are many, many, many other splat books that are out there. Wasn't it originally called World of Anne Rice? <laughs> um, actually, I don't know who came first. Uh, they're they're pretty contemporaneous, so yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's also like Wraith, where oh no, I'm a ghost and I died, and everything in the underworld is made of uh, like forged souls. There's Hunter the Reckoned, where you actually hunt all the other splats, but you're gonna go crazy because God. Um, yeah, a bunch of different stuff. Uh, and the 20th anniversary stuff is really good. And it's available now for print on demand and in PDF. Uh, one thing I would like to note about this system, resolving a single attack requires attacker, attack roll, defender, dodge roll, uh, attacker, damage roll, defender, soak roll. So that's four rolls to resolve one attack. In play by post, this can really bog it down. Yeah, it kind of drives you more toward that narrative aspect of it, where uh, not to, not to uh, say that you're going to go completely to the LARP uh, rock, paper, scissors approach to combat, but you do have to kind of simplify a little bit to uh, prevent it from taking months and months. Yeah, uh, but all the same, if you're really looking for a game about the like personal horror or what it means to be human or not human and how you relate to like personal struggles, this is a great system to do that. The mechanics are really set up to enforce that and to encourage that. So what about this uh, other system that I've heard a whole whole lot about called Chronicles of Darkness? All right. So Chronicles of Darkness uh, used to be called New World of Darkness because they revised it. Uh, Now it's known as Chronicles of Darkness. A lot of their splats are in their second edition. Yeah. So Chronicles of Darkness is basically they took like the world of darkness Updated mechanics to say, hey, it's like not to 1990 anymore. Uh, and they changed a lot of the splats. You still have vampires, werewolves, and mages and stuff, but they got a lot more focused. Like werewolves are now almost entirely focused around a pack and defending the territory. And so you still get that really good, like, focus on personal horror and stuff, but you also have more mechanics to really encourage a group to work together. And the other nice thing, combat now, one roll from the attacker. That's your resolution. Just everything, all the mechanics got like codified and kind of really cleaned up. Yeah, and that that system is certainly getting a fair amount of play on the weave. Mm. We, we're not uh, quite going in order, but uh, most of the systems that I picked here for discussion are ones where there's active advertisements out there, and there's there's a couple. Uh, it's popular. Yeah, um, yeah, the, yeah. Chronicles of Darkness is still widely supported. Just kind of a fun thing. And the integration also means that it's easier to, to have the different factions work with each other, whereas uh, previous systems, the uh, the alignment wasn't quite as great. You couldn't just uh, throw a mage down with a vampire and consider them to be uh, you know, roughly equivalent to each other. Well, I don't know. Does the vampire like be turned into a lawn chair? Then they're equal. Okay, so I have a question about these systems. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how to phrase the question, but I'm going to try. Um, so... When you guys are talking about World of Darkness, the vampire werewolf mage thing, I see a lot of people running these games, but they have different system headings. So, like, they're, I understand they're all World of Darkness. So, like, 
for a werewolf game, do you use just that rulebook? Uh, no. So each of the splats runs off the core mechanic. So it's a little like Fate, where you have kind of like a core mechanic. But then each of these settings have their own skill lists and their own extra stuff. So like vampires will get like disciplines to where like this is the stuff I can do with my blood and stuff like that. Whereas werewolves will instead have rage and they will have like gifts and rituals. So you kind of need the core book for that splats to run that book. Okay, so it is like one rule book to play the game and then the splats break it down into these subcategories. Gotcha. Well, with World of Darkness, each each one is its own rule book. So you need the vampire rule, uh, rule book or the werewolf rule book. With Chronicles of Darkness, it's more I have the core rules for being a mortal because that's what the core rules were. I'm a just a dude. Then you buy the uh, book for the type of supernatural art, and that's a template added on top of being a human. Gotcha. Yeah, I really did like the feel of the the large pool of D10s that I had in the old World of Darkness. But, oh, uh, yeah. Especially as a werewolf. Nothing better than grabbing 20, D, 20 D10 in your hand and shaking it around for damage. And then the other guy soaks 18, and uh, it was all for naught. Yeah. It had its lovable quirks. All right, so uh, if there's one system, well, actually, I guess there's two systems that I would push. But if if there was one of the two that I would push for someone who's looking for a uh, kind of gaming heavy but rules light system that is kind of narratively focused on fantasy, it's going to be Warrior Rogue and Mage. I love this setting. The the well, the setting. I mean, the well, book sorry, itself. System. The system is great. The the setting is like two pages long, but gives just enough of those details to make it interesting enough that you can basically dive right into the setting and feel at home. Um, there's definitely mechanics. They can definitely be optimized to improve the chances of victory, uh, but everyone's guaranteed to start with the same amount of resources. So from a programming aspect, it's fair. Um, but narratively, there's that fate mechanic built in uh, that's based on your rogue attribute that allows the players to manipulate the narrative by spending a, a fate point. <coughs> so um, definitely... Pro gaming, pro narrative, uh, not so much on the simulation. It's very simplified, straightforward. You know, you're talking, you know, 15 pages worth of total core rules to just run the base system. So very easy to pick up and go with. Well, now uh, let me ask you this. This is a system that I actually wasn't familiar with and I was looking it up. So am I right that when you're building your character, you know, you have basically an aspect of being a warrior, an aspect of being a rogue and an aspect of being a mage and you can kind of pump almost all warrior or you could go almost all mage or you could kind of split them evenly. Is that right? Yep. That's basically it. So there's, there's no class system that underlies it. The, the archetypes, if you will, are your attributes. And depending on which one you're focused on, you could be the sword swinging Conan, the barbarian type, um, or you could be the, uh, uh more erudite, uh, Errol Flynn type of uh, you know, fencing sword slinger uh, who also uh, knows his way around with the, with the arts of studious romance. Well, that's yeah, an interesting take on this genre. How much do we see of that on the weave? Um, More than you think. I run a fair number of them. I'm not currently running any, but that's because I'm, I'm a little bit overloaded at the moment. And uh, I've definitely seen a fair amount of love for it from uh, parts of the gaming discussion uh, sub forum. So I, it's I've run there. games of it in the past. It's and the one thing for, I'll, oh, I was going to say, it's great for one-shots because it's it's really something mm. where you can pick up and go and character creation takes five minutes. 
so the thing I love about this system, I can model the Grey Mouser, Conan, and uh, Aragorn all with equal ease. Yeah, I can see the strength in that. And they're also within that rule book, which, as I said, is not very long. There's alternate rules that you can use to kind of impose different narrative focuses on it, depending on, say, how much magic you want in your fantasy. You could go with the really low magic, you know, Conan the Barbarian style um, by almost driving the mage attribute down to kind of the level of scholarly study. Or you could go full on Forgotten Realms to Elminster and, you know, everyone, everyone can cast spells with equal facility. Oh, it should be mentioned. These rules are free. Cheap is free. It's it's totally worth the uh, the investment to go pick up that PDF. Free as in beer. <laughs> so speaking of rules light systems, another one that we all <laughs> should be very familiar that, with that that, that Mordai or sorry Eric pushes lots is Rysis. the anything gaming system. The Ruben goes on drunk hilarious rants gaming system. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had enough beer yet. We have recordings. You can't escape it. (laughs) But my sister. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, So so if you want to know about Rhysis, the best way to learn about that is to go and listen to Weaving Myths Does Tabletop, uh, the first session we did. Um, No, no. That's what I was going to say. You should definitely listen to that. It's fantastic. It's on our Patreon. You can listen to it. It's awesome. <laughs> it's on our thread on the Mythweavers website as well, I believe. I think that's the one free Weaving Myths Does Tabletop episode. I believe that's oh, correct. Oh, really? The first hit is free. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes, Ruben. That's preserved for all time. It's, well, it's as at least as good, if not better, than Season 1, Episode 0. Oh, oh, man. Gee, thanks. Uh, we don't talk about Season 1, Episode 0. There is no, no Episode 0. Can I I'm never going to be able to reference it now. If you say there's no Episode 0, can I delete that, Nathan? No. It technically exists. So right. to everyone listening, I strongly discourage you from listening to Weaving Myths Season 1, Episode 0. There are better things to spend your time on. Nope, no. Nope. If you're going to send them my mistake, they're going to listen to yours. Well, it's not my mistake. It's Nathan's mistakes. Um, <sighs> well, fine. All right, let's get back to Rysis, because we can't let this go. <laughs> Why can't we tangent? <sighs> because we're 48 minutes in, and we still have about eight more systems to go through. I blame well, talk Nathan. faster. Mike Thank you, Actually, like, actually, so. actually, you know what? After this, after Rysis, I'm going to cut us off. What? No! Yeah, Yes! <laughs> I have to! We are 48 minutes in. We still have to do the rest of the show. We can do one more after Rises. Okay. <sighs> Let's get Rises right. out of the way, because it's really simple. You boil down the character into kind of an essential set of three or four cliches that, that describe the aspects of the character. So in that regard, it's somewhat similar to Fate. Um, but the gaming aspect really can take a backseat to the narrative because there are mechanics in the system to use cliches that would be otherwise inappropriate in the combat as long as you can do so in a way that really entertains the rest of the group. And if you want examples of inappropriate (laughs) cliches used in this manner, go listen to Ruben's character because I made some roles that were just 
outrageous as a result <laughs> of um, actions that he took in the game. So oh, saying boy. that the gaming aspect can take a backseat, I feel, is putting it mildly. Um, I'm currently running a Rysis game on Mythweavers right now, and I do think that the system is very given to, well, as you guys found out, humor, right? But uh, do you think it's good in running a more serious system or not? More serious game? I would say it could actually be used for more serious games. We've got, right now actually, on the Mythweavers Discord, we've got Basil Bottletop is running in Gabe Table 1, one of the Mythweavers channels that's exclusive, a Rysis-based game with Call Me Faye and Sarah Cock. It's a, uh, from what I understand, it's a bit of a Bonnie and Clyde game. You know, there's humor, but they aren't making the entire game humorous. And it I, seems to be running very effectively. I think the reason the playthrough we did with Rysis was so given to humor is because all of us were drunk. Yes. <laughs> Except for me. I uh, tried to run my players through the novel Dracula using Rysis without telling them that I was running them through the novel. Um, I'd say I'd ha- I've had mixed results, but it's been it's been a fun experience. Well, I plan to run a straight-up dungeon crawl with Rysis here soon, so that will be semi-serious, but uh, I picked Rysis because it had the potential for the funnies. To be fair, we could, uh, yeah, I do like Rysis for just pick-up games. It has that death spiral problem, though, I felt like. Like, people start losing cliches in a fight, and then they lose more and more. Oh, yeah. Well, that... I think it helps if you have clearly defined your cliches. The death spiral is actually on purpose, and I find that's good from a play-by-post perspective because it keeps the combats from running on forever with a, I miss, you miss, I miss, you miss, I miss, but you soak the damage, you miss, round no, it definitely round. gives you definitely gives you meat for your narrative, too. All right, we got one more system we're going to cover before we move on, uh, and that is, I, I have a love-hate relationship with, with Shadowrun, and it's a great system, don't get me wrong. But I have had such bad experiences running Shadowrun. Oh, yes. So it's a weird beast. So I love it to death, but I hate running it. So Shadowrun is extremely rules heavy, depending on which version you use. And we'll talk about that here in a second. But the fourth anniversary edition is probably one of the most complex game systems I have ever looked at ever. I think the only thing. Yeah, it's also like the best thing ever, but it's also extremely crunchy. So uh, 5th edition Shadowrun tried to fix a lot of the crunchiness of 4th edition. It kind of worked. It kind of worked. Bottom line, Shadowrun's a game where you have stats for everything. It's one of the games where you're really invested in, in your gun because you spent 20 minutes statting up your gun. Yep. So that's so Shadowrun is very good on the uh, simulation part of the scoring system. It's okay on narrative if you get the right players involved. And from a gaming perspective, it's basically who spent more time statting out their gun. Right. Uh, but a year or two ago, they also introduced Shadowrun Anarchy. Anarchy is the rules-light little brother to Shadowrun, and I swear they were, like, listening to all my hopes and dreams, because it's all the cool narrative of Shadowrun with, like, 10% of the rules. Yeah, and um, if if you're gonna... My recommendation, personally, is if you're going to run Shadowrun on play-by-post, you should use Anarchy. Oh, 110%. 
And in the notes, I'm going to link the current Anarchy game I am running. Uh, one notable thing, I finished a run. And I finished a run in under nine months. That's huge. Yep. Uh, I had several of my players say, this is the first time I ever actually finished a run on the Weave. Yeah, most Shadowrun games don't even make it past the Mr. Johnson. Right. And um, so Anarchy just boils everything down. Most of the skills you buy are actually more like a skill group in Shadowrun. The stats are simpler. People only get Shadow Amps, and Shadow Amps are, like, the most important thing. So, like, the Street Sam, your Wild Reflexes, those are an amp. But you don't have an amp for, like, every little piddly piece of cyberware. And, like, your one really cool sword, that's an amp. But you don't need one for all the other 13,000 other pieces of equipment you carry. Uh, it, so, and it's got little bits of... Uh, fate sprinkled in with character tags and like other actions. So it's got a lot more cues for the narrative end of things. And uh, tags are nice, really shorthand, basically aspects. And they're easy to bring in. They're easy for a GM to kind of look at a tag and say, oh, they're interested in this. All right. So before we... Uh, oh, go ahead. Do we, have, do we have any extra time? Can I just polish over Savage Worlds? We really, we, uh, sh- we really should can edit for it. Uh, yeah. It's a slightly long episode. Let Ruben ramble a little bit. All right. Because anything that's left, we have to cover in the last episode. Oh, you know, well, okay, we'll we'll leave it for next episode. That works for me. Nathan? Yeah, no, that's totally fine. I was planning on picking this up next episode anyway. Oh, okay. I was under the impression they were just going to drop off and we're not going to talk about them. No, 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 no. We're definitely going to finish. So uh, next episode, we're going to talk about the rest of the systems we have on our list, and then we're also going to talk about um, homebrew and house rules. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Oh, then I'm fine leaving it till next time. Nathan's okay. not a complete monster. <laughs> but that just means we have time to think up other systems that we didn't talk about here. Yes. All right, so we can fill the entire episode. <laughs> uh, just fair warning, next week's, or next episode is probably going to be about two and a half hours long. <laughs> As we have call. to wrap up all the loose ends. Yes. All right, so... Let's just wrap this up, put a little bow on it for tonight, and move on. We've discussed a lot of different systems, and we've discussed their aspects, but we got to remember that this is really about their tendencies. It's not a requirement that you play any system in any given way. You can play D&D with a heavy narrative focus if you want, or you can use Rice's cliches to model mixed martial arts styles with different bonuses against different ones. Um, you could use Shadowrun to do asymmetric tribal warfare and Stone Age clans, but... Um, yeah, nothing's wow, stopping you from doing anything. Um, but if you play away from the tendencies of the system, just realize that you're going to end up having to do some more work to try and make it cohesive. So think about your end goals. Think about the play style that you're trying to go for. And then really think about the system that's going to help you achieve that goal with the least amount of work for you as the GM. I, I might add, play what system you love because that will transfer over into your players. I would absolutely agree with that. So one last little note I'll throw out there is that while, yes, we are comparing and contrasting systems, we are aware that there are numerous holy wars out there that result from talking about RPGs as systems. Um, the most egregious example that I can think of is actually a topic that's banned on Mythweavers, which is roleplay versus roleplay. Uh, so role as in R-O-L-E and role as in R-O-L-L. Um, so... The, the conversations that come up about those are usually hinged on disagreements over 
the balance of elements within your personal playing style. So, and what happens is people seem to believe that there's one true way to play RPGs. And I cannot stress strongly enough that you should not fall into this trap. You should play the way you like. And if you do that, you will find plenty of people who want to play with you. Um, just make sure that when you're looking for a game and you're advertising for games, you make your style abundantly clear so that people can realize, okay, this is the style of game I'm looking for, or, you know, this isn't the t- style of game I'm looking for. So I just want to throw that out there. Uh, can I add? Sure. I will come down on anybody addition warring like a ton of lightning bolts. Don't do it. It's old, and I'm grumpy. <laughs> In other words, Ruben is the one that acts like the old man of the staff. Get off my lawn. <laughs> well, someone's got to do it with Michael on uh, on vacation. Oh, God, that does make me the old one, doesn't it? Just to piggyback off of the addition wars and all that, just because you have a particular playing style doesn't mean you should look at other styles as something you don't want to touch. Please feel free to experiment. Feel free to stretch a little outside of your comfort zone. It doesn't mean you might like a different play style, but it doesn't mean you won't like a different play style either. Just be willing to reach out, try other Game Master styles, see if you might like it. Bottom line, we're all gamers, y'all. Can't we just love each other? (laughs) Is that close enough to I I love you, man? Sure. Hold my beer. (laughs) Uh, That's like humanity's hat in most games, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) <laughs> so, instead of a Game of the Week this week, we have special guest Farland here to tell us about the setting he's been working on for as long as I can remember. So, without any further ado, uh, Farland, take it away. So, basically, the uh, the trope of Farland is that it's a setting um, that's been conquered by and ruled by evil. And, uh, of course, that brings to mind the Midnight setting, but you now know the date, so Farland came first. Um, so, it's ruled by the Seven Deadly Lords of Sin... And the idea is, you know, it offers you can fight against the Deadly Lords of Sin and make that your campaign, or you can kind of make a more classic D&D campaign. Um, you can ignore the Lords of Sin or have them be a flavorful backdrop, so to speak. Um, another thing about Farland is, well, since it's been it's been being worked on for 20 years, it, I think, is one of the most immersive D&D settings around. And if you look at our staff page, and it, uh, the website is farlandworld.com, if you didn't already know that. If you look at our staff page, you'll actually see the names of um, a lot of Mythweavers folks, people who are still up on the site, and people who have um, come and gone. Now, a lot of them are up at, uh, you know, listed by their real names. Well, let me give a shout out to all the admins and Mythweavers. I mean, you guys have been so great. Mythweavers um, hosts the world of Farland and has, you know, for decades and uh everybody's been so generous so thank you suck up (laughs) hey so the next thing is people started saying to me um so are you going to compile all this right because people wanted to use it but to go from web page to web page is a lot so eventually i got around to actually compiling um some setting books for the world of farland and i sold them for very cheaply on drive through rpg so if you go to drive through rpg and you search world of farland You'll find um, the World of Farland uh, Player's Guide, the World of Farland Game Master's Handbook, and the World of Farland Classic Campaign Setting, and those are digital PDFs. 
And then recently, I took on the really big task of um, creating a print product for an alternate campaign campaign setting for the world of Farland called the War of Immortals campaign setting. And for those currently listening, that link is in the text chat. And for those not listening live and that are listening to the recording, we will make sure that link for War of the Immortals is or War of Immortals is linked. Thanks. So, um, yeah, so the basic idea of the war, of War of Immortals is that it's the distant past of the world of Farland before the Lords of Sin and the Dark Conquest. Um, humans and halflings live in caves and huts. Their civilizations are barely developed. And uh, so it's the ascendancy of elves and dwarves and their civilization. But there's an evil dark folk kingdom called Storgreece, and it's uh, threatening to destroy their civilization before it even begins. So the print book, and it really came out beautifully in my humble opinion, um, it's 195 pages. It has detailed information about the elves, the dwarves, human gnome, halfling societies, the write-up of the evil kingdoms. It has new race options, languages, monsters, mundane magic items. And it also has two full-length adventures. And my most proud part of the book is that it has a full index. <laughs> I salute you, sir. Yeah, I've that was index. rough. Um, you know what I'd like to say? I ran a Farland game, tabletop, for about a year. Awesome. How did it go? Great. My players loved it. That's great to hear. And one of the things I like about World of Farland is that there's a uh, pen and paper forum game uh, that's being logged right on Mythweaver's site, so I can follow along with Farland's uh, personal campaign group there. It's a lot of fun to watch. We should add that into the Patreon. <laughs> so, I've never used Farland, and I'm sorry, but... I've always wanted to. I just haven't gotten around to it. So it's really, it's really good to see like you're getting hardcover books because I know that's not easy to do. And I definitely want to wish you congratulations on that. Yeah. Thank you very much. And, um, right now, actually, I don't know. I guess I'm a glutton for punishment, but, um, I'm going to go back and I'm going to totally redo the first three PDFs that I offered, which was the player's guide, um, the Game Master's Handbook and the actual campaign setting. setting, And the Player's Guide is finished and it's going to be offered for sale as a hardback um, on July 1st. It, like, I could, like I said, I can totally help you with that. Thanks, yeah, I'll be in touch. All he wants is some cheese recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some whiskey. I can handle that. Alright, any last thoughts before we want to move on? Uh, is it free-for-all just, you know, questions? Sort of. Nah, I'm good. Farland, anything else you want to add real quick? No, I think that's it. Thanks for giving me the time. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a pleasure. I will add, you, you did a really good job on the print version. Thank you very much. All right, so now we're going to move on to the free-for-all. Uh, we're going to take about 20 to 30 minutes to uh, basically talk about anything we want, um, as long as it's not cheese. And we're also going to take questions from the text chat. So if you guys have questions, you can ask them. Um Otherwise, yeah, we're just going to chat about other things. So, Farland, I think you had mentioned earlier that you wanted to talk about Lovecraft a little bit. Uh, before that, the mandatory question. Oh, of course. How could I forget? The mandatory question, as always, is what's making us happy this week? Uh, we will start with Colin. Oh, you suck. <laughs> I'm so glad I introduced this. I am so not happy you introduced this. <laughs> Um, making me happy this week. 
Um, for my side business, I have been doing a lot of testing and load development, and it has been going well. Nice. Cool. Uh, are you still going to stick with uh, 7 to 1, or are you going to go for other loads? I'll give you the full rundown outside of the podcast. Oh, nice. All right. It's in depth. <laughs> All right. Uh, Eric, you're up. Well, uh, bringing the soccer in this family, and my wife and I were selected to coach the all-star team for the under nine boys group for our league. Uh, and part of that selection went into, please, 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 please. You're really good coaches and we desperately need somebody and nobody's volunteered. Um, so yes, uh, it's been quite a gearing up experience because we went from not being the coaches to conducting tryouts in under 10 days, oh. uh, with, 20 boys showing up on a Sunday afternoon, which was crazy. And first practice is tomorrow. Tournaments in four weeks. Woo! Hey, good luck. I'm proud of you. Godspeed. Uh, At least you know my what? son decided not to try out. Um, <laughs> because, well, I mean, he's an okay, but his his lack of focus is pretty evident because he's a very young under nine. But he was so nice when I asked him about it because he I said, "Do you want? What do you think about trying out?" He said. Dad, I think I need another year of experience. I said, wait a minute, how old are you again? And where did you come up with that answer? But at least I didn't have to worry about telling him that he didn't make the team if he didn't. That was a bonus for me. Officers, kids, I swear. Yeah, you're done good, man. You'll be ready for the presidency soon. (laughs) (laughs) Already is, I'd say. All right, uh, Farland, what's making you happy this week? All right, so in my day job, which uh, interferes with, you know, gaming and D&D far too often, I'm an English professor, and uh, classes are over, and I get two months off in just a couple weeks, and I'm going to be going to Gen Con, but the time off is making me happy. I'm sad I won't be able to catch up with you at Gen Con again. Um, It tends to run into our annual uh, trip out to the beach, so we'll be sunning ourselves on Cape May. Well, that sounds good, too, but we'll have to catch up there sometime if we can in the future. Yep, my parents still live out there, so there's got to be some time for dropping by to Gen Con. I'm still angry they moved it from Milwaukee. You're really holding a grudge. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, my my wife's parents live in Milwaukee, so we had a free place to stay. It has blown up, I'm telling you. I, I first went probably 10 years ago, and now you can't get a hotel room unless you get it a year early. Yeah, I know. It's, it's gotten too big for me. I'm still hanging in there. Uh, for me, Origins. Origins, that's the con to go to. That's because it's a lot more local. Well, not to be. It's more. Uh, it's more like industry focused. That's where I can go to like schmooze. Well, not even schmooze, just to hang out with all the people I've worked with over the year. Fair enough. All right, Ruben, what's making you happy? A uh, couple things. One, uh, my nephew just started playing soccer, and he loves it. I got to see him play a game. That was great. Uh, he's a reasonable defender for a nine-year-old. And secondly, uh, this week, uh, Chibi and I played We Were Here Too, which we've been desperately trying to play for a good two or three weeks now. Uh, super fun game. It's two-player co-op uh, using voice chat, and you kind of have to describe things to each other and figure out puzzles just through verbal descriptions. We ran through the whole thing in a couple of hours, and oh my god, it was fun. I played the first one. I never, I haven't had a chance to play the second one yet, but the first one I really enjoyed. The second one's great, and there's a way to get the good ending where both people escape. Oh. All right. Well, uh, what's making me happy this week is I got a job. 
Yay! <laughs> so I am starting on the 29th of May, so I will be doing that for a while. What are you doing? Um, it's going to be live chat customer support. So live chat and email customer support. In other words, we should expect uh, tales from tech support posts from Nathan on Reddit in the near future. Probably. Yay! <laughs> uh, welcome to hell, my friend. Welcome to well, hell. I've done it before, so uh, it was kind of a natural fit for me. So, But I, I need something, I got something, and off we go. <laughs> oh, I also want to add... I have just come off like a month-long work hell. In four weeks, I laid out 600 pages. Lordy. That would explain where you've been, yeah. Yeah. I do feel your pain. So in the last two and a half days, I have filled 37 phone calls from one client. For reference for those listening or live, um, we haven't seen Ruben for damn near a month now. Yeah, and that's why it was... Well. Um, now we can do more. Um, we've missed those tabletop. We yes. get GM back. Oh my god! I'm so happy to be done. I just sent the final document to the don't, printer, fully don't, approved. Don't state how excited you are. That jinxes it. <laughs> oh, not about tabletop. Just to be done with the. No, oh I'm god. talking about the work. Don't talk about how excited you are. They'll find more. <laughs> oh no, no, no! There's no chance to find more now. It's at the printer. This You're point. using absolutes. Stop using absolutes. Fine. Stop the presses. <laughs> Eric, tell them. You know what happens when absolutes are used. <laughs> the funny thing yeah, is... Yeah, something about making an ass out of Colin. I mean... Oh, I, coming from I, the officer. I uploaded Sorry, the files earlier today, and then like an hour afterwards, I get a call like, oh, I found two more mistakes. So I had to fix those. All right, so uh, going back to our what I tried to jump us to, um, Farland. We I have another asked, topic? Yeah, Farland asked if we had read Lovecraft. Yeah. Yeah, so I started to ask that, and then my wireless cut out. I didn't hear if uh, my question even got through. I've, I've read some of it. I I can't get over the horrible, horrible racism. Yeah, that's definitely a problem. Um, I've actually never read Lovecraft. I just know quite a bit about stuff and what he's written. So Amazon had a uh, like a Lovecraft compilation for a really good price, and it's I don't know twelve hundred pages, and I ended up reading eight hundred of them until I gave up. They were yes. interesting. Valletta um, pointed out earlier in the in the Weaving Myths chat that yeah, um, the Call of Cthulhu that is the the namesake. You know, they basically defeat Cthulhu by running a yacht into his head. Uh, you know what is a really good way to get into it though? Uh, let me find the link. So, one of the podcasts I listen to is Fictional. Fictional is uh, by the same guy who does Myths and Legends, which is another great podcast any GM should listen to. Um, but he does, like, like classic stories, right? Uh, he did uh, The Call of Cthulhu in two parts, and that was a really, really good way to get through it. Honestly, to me, the best thing about Lovecraft is the mood he sets. I was never really blown away by his plots, but um, the moods are just, you know, really cool. Oh, he's a hell of a descriptive writer. Yeah, so is Tolkien. Um, but some people find it really hard to get through Lord of the Rings when you uh, spend a couple of pages talking about trees. Look, Mr. Frodo, I found a rock. I'm <laughs> going to talk about this rock for two pages now, Mr. Frodo. Look how its striations remind me of the land. 
Chaya. <laughs> oh man, you guys are starting a fight here. We need to have a entire episode devoted to that. Oh jeez. <laughs> I'll fight you on that one. <laughs> I didn't say it wasn't good. I really enjoy it personally. Oh. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Oh, Mr. Frodo. This rock reminds me of the crumbleberry cakes that Mrs. Simmons would cake. Yeah, it just actually the I'm the reader. Off, I'm I, the reader who doesn't skip the poems. Oh, no, that's my that's how you get through any Lord of the Rings. Skip anything in italics. No way. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hi, ho, Dillo. My name is Tom Bobadillo. I have hair like Brillo, and she's <laughs> a good cigarillo. Uh, <laughs> Freestyle Tom Bobadillo rap. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, I can, God, I can I just see, see Ruben and J.R.R. throwing down on uh, Jimmy Kimmel. You know, I have a very relevant question for this now. Ruben, what you drinking tonight? Oh no. Uh, I've been Oh, I've been drinking Fort George Vortex IPA. And sadly, I'm now at Why is the beer gone? You had a 5-minute break. Why didn't you refresh? Because I already drank all the beer I bought. Was why is the Fort rum gone? Yeah, why is the rum gone? No, I'm going to have to wait for the next break to walk to the store to get more beer. Don't stop by the dispensary on your way. Oh, I don't need to. <laughs> Mm. Oregon. <laughs> oh, I yeah, Oregon. Gotta love Oregon. <laughs> I love my state so much. I'm drinking a Coke. You know, I'm looking at the Gen Con stuff. We might actually make Gen Con this year. Oh dang, they Eric, you should that. make Gen Con this year. I can't. I am on the beach. It will not happen. Bad like reason. I said, no treat. Yeah, I. Ruben, federal to... laws still apply to Mythweavers. <laughs> I know. It's legal where I am. <laughs> Only because the cops are keeping the other cops away from you. Eric, <laughs> Eric, you have reason to go this year. You're I being credited am in a book. On the beach. <laughs> <laughs> being Period credited in a book. Yes. Oh, uh, but I, I, I'll but... appreciate that. I'll probably buy a copy of the book. Wait, is oh, being ask her to, to sign it. Ask her to sign it. Wait, is that the reason to go to Gen Con? What, to meet Dalf? Oh, yeah. No, to, to be credited in the book. Yes. Well, I should have gone every year. never happened. I, 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 I just like to meet her at some point. Eric and I played consultants for Dalf. It's kind of exciting for me. I don't know how it is for Eric. Huh. I wonder oh, how many I mean, books. Now I wonder how many books I worked on are up for innies this year. Not all of us have your job, Rubes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, um, aren't we supposed to be taking questions? Oh yeah, there's there's questions. Uh, Chibi wants to know questions? how can you use cake as a verb? Drink more. Do we have Do we have to go to questions? I mean, we can skip Jimmy questions. <laughs> I mean, we don't have to take questions. That's that's the great thing about the free for all. If nobody asks us questions, then we can just talk about other things. Take oh, on that's mud. A lot. Take on mud to disguise yourself. Well, you know, the violence inherent in the system. Help, help. They're being repressed. I do have a question for you guys. There's, there's a serious oh, one in the chat now. We need to use it. Um, no, there's no questions there. Uh, your best dragon story. Uh, nope, don't got one. Don't got one. You guys have never thrown a dragon against a player. Nope. Nope. I can usually kill them without resorting to a dragon. Wow. I have a really good trap, though. Best Ooh, dragon well, story? Dang. Yeah. I want to hear about your really good trap. Okay, so I'm I'm reciting this from memory. I have it written down somewhere, but just 
forewarning, it might not make sense, but I am reciting it from memory. So, you have a circular room that the entire room is a funnel to a circular pit in the center. Okay. At the bottom of the pit is acid. Okay. The edge of the pit is rimmed with razor blades, so ropes get cut. The goal is for the players to get across the room. That's a good trap. But there's more! So, once they get through the other door, the other... The, the, the second room is a long hallway with a giant fan at the end that attempts, them back. that attempts to blow them back through the doorway. <laughs> You're a monster. Oh, it, I have, I have an entire like three or four pages in my notebook dedicated to this one trap and it's awesome. You're a monster. So, um, last weekend, last Saturday, I've been running D&D for a mix of, like, most, mostly total newbies with a couple of old players, and they encountered their first dragon. Well, it wasn't a dragon, it was a Dracolich. Oh, you're going to do Dracolich story, so I can't do mine. Oh, well, you can do yours. Oh, that's not bad, Kimmy. Actually, yeah, enough water in there, and you can swim over the top. Actually, yeah, that's a really good idea. Yeah, well, wow. Fair uh, enough. <laughs> no, uh, like... They just made a little five, like the session before, and I threw them against orcs, and they just kind of waffle-stomped everything, and they were feeling big for their britches, so... Like, they have to deal with, the t- like, the town, people are being kidnapped, they go to the graveyard, there's, like, a necromancer raising people, so they follow the trail, and, like, as they start following it more and more, um, the ground gets more boggy, there's more vegetation, and fog starts rolling in, and I keep, like, amping up this, which like, see glowing yellow eyes in the darkness and shadows flit around the edge of your torchlight and stuff like that. I got them real amped up. Just, yeah. So the wizard decides, okay, lame and secure shelter. We're going to rest right here. It happens, and then Dracolich just lands right in front of their shelter, just staring at him. And, like, he sits there for a while. He flies off. He grabs a log and starts dropping logs around the hut, right? Because my thought is, Okay, he's just going to surround the hut and logs and then light it on fire. Well, the fighter says, well, screw this for a game of buggers. Rushes out of the hut when he comes back, jumps on his arm, jumps on the top of his back and says, I'm going to hold on and just start stabbing him. And he makes all the checks he needs to do so. And then the dragon's like, well, this sucks. So he flies 100 feet up in the air. And I'm thinking, like, okay, I'm just going to shake him off and he's going to die to falling damage, right? The guy makes every save I threw at him. Just everyone clings on, still stabbing him. And if I'm like, all right, screw it. Dragon falls on purpose and flips over on his back so the fighter gets squished. The uh, the fighter lived. I didn't do enough damage. <laughs> so now my dragon's also badly hurt. Now it has to fly off. It, rather than the party, like, follow them, going like, oh, it's really badly hurt. Let's just go kill it. They long rest. So the dragon also gets to heal up. So then they had to go and fight it again. That was a great fight, too, because I brought everybody down to single-digit hit points, dropped a couple of people, but they won in the end. And the second fight was Groundhog Day, and it all happened all over again, right? Oh, no, they actually tracked it to its lair. Now, I meant it would be cool if the fall and everything happened twice. Uh, well, the, wizard, the fighter tried to do it again. He tied a rope to a crossbow bolt that was barbed, and then tied the other end of the rope around his waist and shot the dragon. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that picture. <laughs> I can't. 
my god. Oh god. Okay. I like what Dingmaman just linked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great stuff there. So true. Okay. So, oh man, the same game. So, like, they're fighting the necromancer, right? That's racing all the bodies, and they shoot him. And then at the end, I describe, like, you see a crow caw and then fly off. <clears throat> they obsess over the crow. Like, oh, I'm, I'm in a hunter's market, so I can follow it. Oh, I'm going to try to shoot it down. Oh, I'm going to try to track it. So, uh, this was right before, because I'm running this kind of in a 4E setting, where one of the deities is the Raven Queen, the goddess of death, who hates undead. It was meant to be flavor, like the Raven Queen was watching them, until eventually, like, they kept trying to do this. It, like, they kept failing, so they kept investing more resources. It's offensive. Guys, this was flavor. It's not important. All right, so... Does anyone have any last-minute, very short things before we move on for the evening? Yeah, no, well, we did actually sure. miss two questions. One, however, I'm oh. willing to discount. Okay, what are the One questions? One was Chimi asking, why do you hate Chimi? Um, I don't care enough to answer. <laughs> I don't hate him, I love him. The relevant question was uh, from Vlad of Adam asking, what is the best dog breed? None. I will say none. <laughs> Well, I have a, I have a schnoodle, half schnauzer, half poodle. He'll bite your nose off. Uh, I have I a cocker spaniel. There. I'll even go back further. Uh, I actually, I quite like border collies. Uh, Is that because they're furry like cats? Uh, no. Uh, actually, I grew up in a rural area. My uh, grandparents were sheep ranchers. I grew up around border collies. I really like the breed. I think they're very smart. They really obey. They won't bite you. They won't attack you. Our current dog is half German Shepherd, half Cane Corsa, which is Italian Mastiff. I love that mix. He is a beast, too. He is gigantic. At I, I, 110 pounds, he is the runt of the litter. He's still big. <laughs> I, I also highly tolerate Golden Retrievers. My wife's family have always had Golden Retrievers, so I got used to them, too. What Jem would like to get, because... Ours, our dog Nels is 10 going on 11 years old. He doesn't seem to realize it, but he's getting older. Eventually, Jem is very fixated on German Indian dogs. Huh. It is a mix of Native American Indian dog and German Shepherds. Huh. I, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm really kind of scared of dogs. I was mauled when I was six. By a dog. Come visit. You'll get over it real quick. <laughs> uh, All he wants to do is love you. <laughs> it's, like, most dogs make me really, really nervous. That's fair enough. I mean, that's yeah. it's not something that you just uh, you don't just get, get over, over with. Yeah. I, I, I love dogs in abstract. I love dog lovers. Just, um, yeah, I personally, I like my cats. The silliest idea for a spell... So Dingmamon uh, wants to know, what is the silliest idea for a spell you can think of right now? Summon Pudding. Uh, I was going to go with Summon Spaghetti, so sure. Pudding works. Pudding slightly sillier. I am at the Colin Much Drunk No Care, so I'll go with Pudding. <laughs> High enough spell slots, maybe you could even like summon like, uh, like a yellow ochre or a black pudding. Go with something Monty Python. Do like a silly walk spell. Make make your opponents walk around in the silliest way possible. Yes, that's awesome. That's that's actually really good. 
it what maybe like have their movement. Yeah, it's actually not bad. I might be able to develop that and put it up on the site. That would be satiate. awesome. <laughs> we'll go with um, satiate. It makes you feel like you're full, but you're not actually full. Ooh, that's a good one. Then you starve to death. Um, yes, it's insidious like that. <laughs> um, the cantrip grew mustache. That could work. That's a definitely an evil descriptor spell, right? No, no, it's neutral. Because you also get the really cool, like, Sam Elliott stat. Ah, grow mustache, yes. Okay, all right, I gotta move us on. We are very quickly nearing the two-hour mark. All right. All right. Um, so we're on schedule for our norm? No, not even <laughs> close. All right, I'd just like to take a moment to remind everyone that this episode of Weaving Myths is made possible by our Patreon. For those of you that don't know, Patreon is a method for content creators to gain income through the support of those who consume the content. Our Patreon offers a multitude of ways to support the show, and you'll get awesome rewards for signing up under any of the tiers. Contributions start at as little as $1 per month, so it doesn't take much at all to show your support. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash mythweavers. All contributions to the Patreon go for pay, go to paying for online hosting of the show and supporting Mythweavers, the site we are honored to be partnered with. We're going to be hosting a community contest in July, which is going to be made possible by Patreon and our patrons. So stay tuned for more details about that in the coming weeks and for more information about the prizes we'll be giving away to the winners. One last thing I should note, Weaving Myths is, always has been, and will always continue to be free, and signing up for the Patreon is not required to listen to the show. Full episodes are always uploaded to SoundCloud within two days of the episode being recorded, and all normal episodes will always be available for download or streaming free of charge. Um, so, I know we haven't been doing this, but one of the Patreon rewards is that actually you will get a shout-out if you subscribe at a certain tier or higher. I'm going to shout out those people right now. So I would like to shout out to some of our higher contributing patrons, um, John D, Amanda C, Michael B, Brendan M, Claire F, Amy G, and Christopher M. Uh, last names censored for their protection. So one last thing before we wrap up for the evening. Um, I, I also want to let everyone know about upcoming events in Weaving Myths features, uh, future. Uh, these are mainly just some dates, but I think everyone should be aware of them as we move forward. The next episode of Weaving Myths will be on June 2nd. That will be the last episode of Season 2, and we will be taking a break for the months of June and July from regular episodes to focus on patron content and Weaving Myths Does Tabletop. Um, right now, we're aiming for August 4th to be the first regular episode of Weaving Myths Season 3. Um, also, expect some big and exciting changes for that. I know that's a big cliffhanger to end on, so I'll give a maybe big hint of what's going to happen there, but expect to see us on YouTube and Twitch in the future. Dun, so, dun. <laughs> uh, so thank you everyone so much for joining us today. It's been a blast, and we appreciate all of the comments and questions from the text chat. As always, I'm Nathan, and I've been joined by the magnificent Eric. So long, and thanks for all the games. Farland. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Ruben. Later days. And Colin. Been fun as always, folks. Thanks for listening, and keep on weaving those myths.